The Say Something Podcast is brought to you by AmomentWithMorris.com and BlackBlueprints.com. That's BlackBlueprints with a Z dot com. I am Jermaine Morris here with the one and only Mr. Barry Axius. Peace and blessings, family. As we are bringing you the Say Something Podcast. Say some, say some, say something. Where we get together talking about what's going on in this life, in this world, in this universe out here in these streets. In these cool, cool, cool streets, yeah. Coming at you with episode number 69. Boo, 69. I know that's a lot of y'all favorite number and you know why. Episode 69, a special shout out, throw out there, a little salute. Now, you know, normally we, we salute the OGs, the veterans. We salute the ancestors who are no longer with us. Yes, sir. Uh, this shout out is for a contemporary. Okay. Because it's also important not only to give folks their flowers while they're here, but to also sometimes when we talk about things, some people are like, well, that was their era. You know, that's how they did it back then. You know, how could we do that now? It's a different time now. Well, this is somebody who's doing it now. You know, so and, and you know, killing it out there. Killing it out there. Killing it, killing it. Killing the game out there. This is more on the. Uh, must be talking about myself then. No, not yet. Dedicated to them. All right. Not yet. No. We ain't there yet. We ain't there yet. <laughs> almost, almost. So episode 69, like I said, a contemporary born in 1979 in Seattle, Washington. In the bracket. Okay. This is a special shout out to a sister out here in the game. And uh, went to the uh, University of Washington. That's where she graduated from. And really was like, like really big about her father was an activist up in that region and really took it to heart about pe- keeping the people informed. So she served as the executive director and a general counselor to the Congressional Black Caucus. She worked in the district office under uh Queen Maxine Waters, if you don't know who that is, definitely get your Google on and get caught up on who she is. Yes, sir. Uh, Currently running the boards of the Congressional Black Caucus Institute, the Congressional Black Caucus Political Action Committee, Seattle University School of Law Alumni, and the Women in Entertainment Empowerment Network. Like, she stays with her hands all up in everything, like making sure that uh, she's getting the word out about really stressing the significance of voting and about people being aware of who's doing what and running for what in their region. You've probably seen her on CNN and uh, NPR, uh, senior advisor to the uh, Government Technology and uh, Services Coalition. She's an attorney and a principal CEO of Impact Strategies, which is a political advocacy firm. Like, like I said, her whole big campaign is making sure people are aware of what's going on. And if you don't know how to get informed about what's happening, a lot of us, we talk about the system. But when it really comes down to it, we're not really familiar how the system even works. We'll say that it's broken. But if you ask the average person, you know, uh, who's the lieutenant governor of the state they live in? Don't know. You know, what does an alderman do? No idea. You know, they may know the mayor, maybe. So she's really big on people being informed about what's happening, what's going on politically. And somebody just to give a little special shout out and nod to. Uh, she does it for the culture, does it for the game, out there helping the young folks. Shout out one time to Sister Angela Rye. Angela Rye. Okay. Man, that came out out of the ballpark. I guess it's because you're feeling political for the midterms coming up. Well, I think that she's somebody who uh, really stays connected for us. Like, uh, Making the rounds, making sure young people are aware, 
working the, the, the channels that we tap into. You, she become a regular on The Breakfast Club with Charlemagne, Envy, and Angela Yee, talking to people in certain circles and spaces that we would kind of plug into, really trying to get into our young people and get them informed in a way that's relatable. Yes, yes, You yes. know, when there's some 65, 70-year-old person talking about, well, measure 17, it's after about, you know, two two seconds of talking, folks tune out. She's somebody that's relatable and and really makes it her mission to uh, to really get out there and talk. And her father, uh, Eddie Rye, was really deep in the streets. No doubt. I mean, you know, Angela, we got to meet her um, for a brief moment and actually hear her speak down in Stockton yeah. and Pacific uh, University of Pacific back, uh, what, probably what, last year? Last year? Last year, I believe, yeah. last year. Um, during the Black Panther, uh, the movement, the hype. It was this, it was this year then? Because Black Panther was this year, right? Mm, I think it was the end of last year. What? We need to figure that out. But I know it was during the Wakanda Mania. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think Wakanda Mania started in 2018. If I'm, I'm very sure. I want to say it's longer than 10 months. Mm, I don't know. We gotta, we gotta. Might have to do some uh, research. Yeah. Have our researcher over here research that. But anyway, um, I think that it's very important to be politically sound. I think us black folks, we're not as politically sound as we need to be. Um, you know, it's dope to have people with a, you know, a, a reach and, a, and kind of a newer way and a. A, a, a hipper kind of way to approach politics. As you can see, um, we're being able to talk politics in a different kind of way and not that um, conservative kind of tone and having to be politically correct to say um, certain words and you have to kind of have this cer- certain mannerism. So it's it's good to see. It's a breath of, a breath of fresh air, actually, to see um, individuals uh, like the Queen Angela for her to be able to not be only unapologetic, but to also be um, as pointed as she wants to be. You know, and this is a time that we need more people, um, black people, especially to be in tuned, because I think what we find out more or less that our attitude towards politics, which is very understandable, has kind of been our Achilles heel where we may elect people into um, certain positions, but we don't hold them accountable or we don't choose to elect anyone or we don't choose to um, homegrown talent that we can sit there and say, OK, here's Johnny and Johnny's going to be the congressman yeah. for, you know, whatever. And we're lobbying him because there's so many different components that we kind of we, we, we miss the, the, the ball and the missed the point of what lobbying is are what um you know what I'm saying uh political people are in our own arena like you think about it for instance you have districts right and yeah. people don't know their council member right the right. council member that is running that district yeah. and Who not understanding you. that that representation means something right like so for instance here we are in Sacramento you have someone that is over the district um one or district two or district three and they're cover certain areas so let's say district one covers the natomas area where it's kind of like the north area where district two covers another area understanding those things is so powerful for the long game because what it does it creates an understanding one 
And two, when you really want things done, now you can go ahead, follow the first the money. Yeah, and, you know where you're going. Yeah, you know yeah, yeah. To. Follow the money and then ask and understand that person who is the representation of what your community, quote unquote, is supposed to look like. Yeah. Right. They know that you are a person that does vote. They know that you're a person that does have a voice. And hopefully at sometimes you could be a person, if not a business owner, you have some type of influence. Yeah. Once they know that, that wait a minute, I have to worry about dealing with these individuals from this community, not just the same people that kind of show up every time, every day. Yeah. They take us a lot more seriously. And the unfortunate thing is the reason why they don't take us seriously politically, because we're not politically charged the way we should be. What we do as black people, in my opinion, is symbolic victories are things we grasp onto, we hold on to. So it's just looking at the case in point of Obama. I know everybody loves Obama, but to me, Obama was more of a symbolic victory yeah. compared to a, a a landmark victory where it set back black people up for the next 20 years. Right. To be honest with you, it set black people up um, in a case of what you now have Donald Trump, where black people were so comfortable in that eight years of, uh, you know, having. Obama and being yeah. able to say, well, we have a black president compared to looking at it, the things that we needed to have done. And I mean, by saying that as a group, not just as Obama created things and networked for everybody as, as yeah. an American president is supposed to, but literally as a cohesive group what black people's got out of the Obama regime. And we can argue back and forth. I know people always have to sit there and try to circle some dots about certain things he did. And I say, those are all things he did for the people, health care, um, some prison reform. I'm talking specifically black. And then people will sit there and say, well, he was a president for everyone, just not for black people. Listen, Every goddamn president before him, whether it's a Clinton, whether it's a Carter, whether it's a Kennedy or whether it's a, a Mr. 45, a.k.a. the pussy grabber, they did shit for their people. <laughs> That's just bottom line. Yeah, he's a uh, and, I'm, and I'm not one of the people who even argues about the Obama stuff. I think most people drop the ball when his campaign of yes, we can. Most people and don't forget the, about hope. Well, before you even get there, the yes, we can. Most people interpreted that as. Yes, I can. Mm -hmm. But really what he was saying is, yes, you can. Yeah. And, you know, that most people realize they thought when he got into office, thought that, you know, he was going to take it by the yeah, reins sure. and that he was going to solve all the problems. But he's like, nah, y'all pretty much because I'm straight. So I'm saying we is in us because we're all in this together. But the reality of it is I'm good. Yeah. So really, y'all need to get this. Together. Yeah, I mean, we didn't I but, mean, we, we, we didn't take advantage of of the fact that we did have a black president and the thing about it. What's funny had we've done a lot of the stuff that we're doing right now currently, right? Speaking out louder, um, really opposing uh, white supremacy. Folks are now even speaking against white supremacy and like really creating this nuance of political awareness, right? Of you know, organizing, uh, challenging uh, different laws, um, propositions and actual people in office. If we really pushed and let me not forget 
niggles are not afraid to actually be black. Not all of y'all, but some of y'all niggles are not afraid to be black and speak upon black issues. I mean, this week we heard Don Lemon say a whole lot of black things. It's like, whoa, things are changing. I think that if we were on that page, knowing, okay, guess what? We have Obama. It's not time for photo ops. It's not time to be excited in a way that, yes, we finally got a person of color in the office. What can we actually get done and not talking about individuals getting things done for themselves, but con collectively, what can we get done? Yeah, because I, I think more of it would have would have changed. Realistically, had it gone from Bush to Trump, had there been no in Obama administration, I think you would have been I think you'd have started to see some of this happen. But I think during the Obama administration, it was it was it was a personal victory. Like it was, it was the moral victory. It was the symbolic gesture. It made people feel like there was some breathing room that this was the beginning of better days. Yeah. And so instead of feeling like it, it let it let, it let white people off the hook for yeah. a little bit. And I'll break that down well, after you say what you're going to say well, before. It, it, instead of it feeling like it's fourth and long and if there's a lot of pressure, which what the Bush administration was closing out as. Yeah. It was like, you know, a lot of the fields that we worked in that we're heavy in were all going away. Yeah. You know, a lot of the factory jobs, labor jobs, stuff getting outsourced overseas or companies just closing altogether. Uh, it was hitting us hard economically. And so that was really fourth and long. Then you get a guy that comes in and it makes it feel like he's, he, you know, he's talking that talk that makes it sound like, OK, you know, he's it. OK, we can we can relax. And even if your personal life didn't even really get any better, mm -hmm. you just mentally were able to get through a little bit better. Mm -hmm. And then as you go into it now, uh, you really feel like you, you're aware that you're still in the pot. Yeah. Well, I mean, he also symbolized something that was rare for the world to see of a black man and a black woman. First of all, you see black love. You see black family. You see black parenthood. You see classy, elegant, what we are. You know what I'm saying? Like this is truly who we are, right? Yeah. You, you could see the, the renaissance of what was black once upon a time, right? Right yeah. there. And when you see that, I think you fall in love with that whole imagery. And I understand that. And again, like white folks probably felt like, guess what? Now we can breathe a little bit because they finally got a person of color. See, the world in a, a, a is going through a, a better place. America is not as racist as it truly is. Yeah, because a lot of people kept using, because that symbolic gesture was not just a black symbolic gesture. That The symbolic gesture of, of President Obama was the fact that it made a lot of other people and other groups in the nation really take that that pressure off of them to acknowledge the prejudices and biases and racism that exists in this country. What it does is it says, well, how can we be a racist country if we elected a black president? You got it. And so now some of those things I started to feel or some of the stuff I started to hear or even some of the stuff I was just sick of hearing. This negates all of that yeah. because we got a guy in office who got a black wife who got black kids. And this black dude in here from Illinois, you know, and so now all those things can't be true. Yeah. You know, white privilege can't be real. Nah. Uh, racism in America can't be real. What's because that? Because this black man made it to the highest level, you know, that, that, that an average American citizen can make it to. And if he did it, then there's no reason why anybody else can't do anything on a lower level than that. And, and so because that happened. Uh, like I said, that symbolic gesture went across the board. It wasn't just like a quote unquote, a win for black people. It was a sigh of relief for, for a bunch of other cultures, too. And then it also let George Bush Jr. off the hook like it literally let him off the hook. 
it, it almost was like we were so focused on, okay, let's see if Obama can fail. Can this black man do this presidency just as well as his, um, you know, predecessors before him right so now you that's what that's what trips me out like you know michelle obama was like saying a comment about george bush jr um and was saying oh he's my partner in crime and how much he loved him and i was just like the same guy that didn't give a damn about the black people in katrina the same guy that brought us into a fake war the same guy that said, hey, got to get these gas prices up because, you know, we're, we're low on oil and we got to fight this war and we need this and we need these resources. And it was the same guy that claimed the war was over, but the war really didn't even start and the war was just beginning. Um, the same guy that was attached to 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 you know, to oil and, and, and different things that was connected to why we allegedly was over there. Yeah. Um, it, it makes me scratch my head. And then when I see pictures of Obama with the Clintons, you know, another head scratcher and, you know, the Bushes. And when you look at the Clintons um, history and when you now unravel what really was the Clintons from Hillary to Bill and how much they were much very much more anti-black than they were pro, pro regardless of Bill Clinton um Doing a saxophone and, you know, as everybody loves to say, he's just like a black president. He was getting some head in the Oval Office. Yeah. The reality of this is I, I, I begin to think and wonder how much was Obama a planted thing compared to the only thing. Right. Because you said something funny. If Donald Trump got into the presidency and I don't think he, he would have been the same Donald Trump that he is right now. I don't I don't believe that. Or anyone else outside of that, like, you know, you had McCain who was trying to be president at yeah. that particular time. Anybody that was fitting a Republican bubble, I think that it would have been a backfire. So that's why it was almost like Obama, like you said, um, yes, we can um, change these these hopes, these messages were something that kind of made it easy for America to kind of open up their hearts with all the stuff that has happened where we're getting people's houses foreclosed. People, um, this is when you really started looking at the homelessness to kind of go into some a, a, a real deeper lens where you weren't just seeing homeless people under highways, right? You were like seeing them literally on um, streets. And we're not talking about just big cities. We're talking about just smaller cities on streets you never saw them on before right you know like wait a minute how many uh you know you get some homeless people here and there but now there's a herd you you look at the lens of what we're dealing with politically right now currently it was almost like uh the 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 quiet before the storm it, it was almost like this 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 um this brew of 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 heat that was coming out and eventually now, as we're in the Trump era, it's just kind of exploded. But I believe that it was always there. They just kind of like, yeah, they just kind of subdued it for a little bit for eight years. But this was exactly the effect of what was going to happen to me if there was someone that was in place that was not Obama, that wasn't about something different. Right. Obama looked different. What Trump is Trump looks like more of the same, but the added part about Trump, he has social media and also he has a base that feels that they are uh, being extinct, that their rights. And this is the males, right? The white males. I mean, you got some white females as well, but the white males 
are feeling like their masculinity is being challenged, that their their um, red blood of, of, of America is not being looked at like everybody else. The immigrants are taking jobs away um, and, uh, you know, black people are taking wives and girlfriends away. Well, all the shit that they they make yeah. believe in their head. So I think that though the moment that we're in right now and why we're doing so much about voting and talking about vote it's very serious it's very real because if we don't change the process of some of these policies because the system can only change if we have an alternative system but if we don't start from the ground level we're going to be fucked yeah it, it's i mean a lot in there if uh for us being knowledgeable about how the system works and about how uh how it really breaks down. Like I say, you hear all the time, the system's broken, or the system doesn't work, or the system's corrupt, or the system's whatever. But when you really pick apart how often, how much to do, what detail most people know how it works, most people don't. And when you look at representation, you know, what something, how it looks, Obama was good representation for what America is. Somebody said it, I, I was part of the little uh, piece that they were speaking on. America is phenomenal at branding. Mm. Like nobody brands and markets like the United States of America. Mm-hmm. You know, we'll take anything and you just like globally, when people think of the United States of America, home of the free, you know, land of the free, home of the brave, the streets are paved with gold, all your dreams come true. If you can just make it to America, forget New York City. If you can make it here, you can make it anywhere. Like this is you can come from anywhere and you and everything that you want to have happen in life can change for you in the United States. Like that's the global brand that this nation uh, shoots out across the world. And when you had the Bush administration, it was damn near a laughing stock, yeah. you know. Uh, and so, and then it turned into just a corrupt regime. How it was looked at, like, oh, y'all was this dude wasn't that bright. He was making all these off the cuff, stupid remarks. But then when it came down to getting the money, he was willing to bomb anyone and everyone to go ahead and get this paper. So it was like, oh, that's America. Like I was. Uh, overseas when it was coming up to the the uh, election for for bush mm. and just the rhetoric about him was just you know it was ridiculous and they were just like man this you know what are y'all doing over there and obama was a good representation it showed a, a nation that was growing and evolving it showed a nation that it was moving past its history uh, that was embracing all of its citizens <laughs> that globally it was a good look yeah you know, and, and when you move into after Obama into what Trump is, Trump is another representative <laughs> because the reality of it is, too, is that that is the America that most of the world perceives us. Yeah. Like when they start talking about what Pompous, a real, what a real, arrogant. Well, I'm talking about his fan base. When people start thinking about Americans and they start looking at the, the, the a lot of the racist rhetoric and all this. So oh, yeah, of, they're definitely that. But also. People look at us as pompous and arrogant yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, it, it's it's standard that anywhere you go overseas, if you're talking about who's going to be the rudest, they're Americans. If it's an open bar, who's drunk on the floor, Americans. Mm-hmm. Who's going to be the most out of pocket, the most disrespectful, the most entitled, Americans. Mm-hmm. That's pretty standard. Most privileged. All that. That's pretty standard wherever you go. And so now you've got you know that th- th- this representation who this group of Americans who now feel the current administration speaks to them mm-hmm. that they finally got their guy. Yeah. You know, the last guy, not at all. The dude before him, little glimpses of him. He was a C student who just happened to come from a good family and he made it to the top. So they kind of gravitated to him. He was all of what Donald Trump was, but he was soundproof where now America has become more louder because of social media. Yeah, 
And so uh, the, the what these these group that have not been properly represented where they haven't really seen their guy sitting up there uh, now that, that that that's the case. And when he goes and does these rallies, when he goes and does these, these speeches, they're like, this dude is about us. This dude is talking to us. He's talking for us. And they feel empowered by it. And what you start to get now is a, a much louder voice <laughs> of a simmering pot that is gradually making its way to the surface and really showing a lot of levels of what this country is. That this country has great marketing and branding to show the face of its poor. The face of welfare in the United States of America is a black woman. Though the statistics it of, is a white woman. Yeah. Of who's actually on welfare. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they changed the whole campaign of who they wanted to be the face you know, uh, of the welfare system. That's branding for the United States. You know, when they look at the face of, of criminal activity, when they look at the, the face of terrorism, you know, like all that we, we spend a, a great amount of time and this nation spends billions upon billions of dollars for great marketing and branding for who they want the face to be. When we say the face of illegal immigrants, it's not Canadians. You know what I mean? The, the, the face of illegally. I know a lot of people whose family came from France, from England, who came from from Italy, who came from Mexicans. That yeah. When they talk about the face of of of, of people who of illegals or immigrants in America, they're Latino. When they go the face of of terrorism in America, they're Middle Eastern. Yeah. They're Muslim. If your name's Muhammad, you get in the side eye off top. But. We have immigrants that aren't Latino. We don't look at Asians when we start talking about immigration. Nah, yeah. Though we live in here in California, the, the Bay is full of all day. When we talk about terrorism in, in America, who the true terrorist threat is, the likelihood of you getting attacked by somebody named Muhammad is much lower than the likelihood of you being attacked by someone named Matthew. Man, speak the truth. You know, marketing, branding. This country will is, is can spin it like the Globetrotters. And that's why what was so important about the campaign is we talked about the branding aspect of it all. And I think that was the turn of what we now see as um, make it bigger, make it bolder, make it flashier than ever. Every um, campaign always had slogans. Right. But I think that with Obama, he hit it out the ballpark. Hope we can change. Here comes Trump. Make America great again. Like if that's not one of the most powerful slogans ever, because as you were saying earlier that you had people saying that's our guy. Yeah. Unfortunately, there is a percent of Americans, white Americans that believe when America was great is when Negroes were slaves and there wasn't as many immigrants roaming this, this country. That's when they believe America was great. When their white lines was the only line, when their predecessors was um, dictating and was killing, was raping, was thieving. This was when America was truly great. When they did not have to share the bulk of this country with anybody else but themselves. So when you go ahead and you 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 pitch that phrase, you pitch that line and you've never, ever truly sat there and broke it down and gave it the um, 
kind of understanding that you would need to know. Because if I'm hearing a statement like that and I know America's history, I'm like, what the fuck does that mean? Make America great again. Yeah. You just boldly kind of just throw it out there to let people just kind of uh, just go with their own imagination on what the definition is. That's that. That bro. It's That's reckless. Reckless and, as hell. And a big part of it, most people, when you start talking about folks of an older generation, when they refer to when America was great, is the Reagan administration. You, uh, so, go back. So when you go back to when when Ronald Reagan, cowboy Ronnie, was was president of the United States, where you could openly use racial homophobic slurs. It was a guy who was all about pickup trucks, drinking a beer, or and about football and family. When it was about those, the segregation wasn't law, but it was practiced. This is like when, when you find a lot of people, they talk about what was the last era that, that the great America, era. America was great. You'll find a lot of older people attached to the Ronald Reagan mm-hmm. era. Reaganomics was, was something that a lot of folks really got behind. Well, yeah, well, I mean, Reaganomics was important, but I think that clearly that's why not having a defined definition for yeah. what this is. The, your opinion and for what you believe is the Reaganomics where I'm looking at it on a level of, well, I think they are going deeper into when we were really ens- enslaved and when it was pretty much they didn't have to like you got to remember there was a point in time it was like whites and blacks. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It yeah. wasn't anything else going on. Right. And that was kind of like the 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 fight between. Um, you know, are we going to be free or are they going to let us roam and, and, and you know, let us fend for ourselves? And it was always kind of like, eh, let's let's kind of redline them and eh, let's Jim Crow them and eh, let's do that. So I think that those kind of things of going back and forth with debate is why that phrase and that slogan has been so dangerous because it's just like there was a particular time that you know blacks really didn't have that many rights and you know all the other immigrants didn't really have that many rights and you know psh, the the white people in america were doing just fine on either or case so it, it, it's 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 interesting that we're here at this moment it's very um to me not surprising but as we've kind of broken down from an historical uh, um, concept of where we were when we were with Ronald Reagan, where we were when we were with George Bush and how we kind of had that little eight years of kind of like this smooth out reflective. No, America is a great uh, uh, country. It's 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 we, we, you know, here you are. Everyone loves everyone. <laughs> Everyone's you know, diversity is here. Now you come back into this rude nightmare that I think some people are waking up and be like, this can't be true. Yeah, I think the, the difference when you go through. uh presidents when you take you know reagan the first bush was the same uh exact same it was the same and so uh daddy bush was you know his vice president he just kept everything business he just kept the business and he Uh, was i think he he was barely just a face you know just to kind of be in there same folks in place so what would you say bill clinton was well that's what i was going into so then when you go into to uh bill where you got a slight shift, and, where, and the biggest thing is is foreign policy. Is, is if the biggest difference we start talking about what these eras look like. Bill Clinton's foreign policy it really turned into uh, don't start none, won't be none. So a lot of the money that had been going out and allocated to other countries and other issues and and stuff, Bill was like, I ain't about that. I ain't about that life. So a lot of the money that was going out of the country stayed in. 
That's why, if you remember, during the Clinton administration, infrastructure. That's why motherfuckers was eating during the Clinton. Yeah, wherever you live. That's why we were like, he's the best president ever. Yeah, there was there was construction being done, bridges being rebuilt, the, the freeways were getting worked on. Uh, the drugs was good. Everything. It, it didn't matter what you did for a living. You, you had was money. making money. You had money in your pocket because the way that the structure was, everybody, everything was booming. Everything was 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 growing because you had all the money. The same way that we talk about group economics within a community, the dollar was circulating within the country. Yeah, it wasn't going out to all to thirty-two different nations Man. for for multiple campaigns Sheesh. and agendas. It was staying in house. So with those dollars circulating around, more jobs were being created, homes needed to be built, cars needed to be sold. The technology era was just really stuff. about to boom. All that stuff. So you had all all that stuff going on during his administration. Then you got uh, you shift over to Bush. And then it was back to business as usual. So then the first thing that happens under Bush's watch, you know, you get the, the 9-11 issue. And of course, the reason why 9-11 happens, because we want to forget about Bush getting elected in a way he got elected for the Florida situation. Yeah. So, I mean, so it turned back to business as usual before day one. And so you started getting. <laughs> so then it goes back to, you know, then the first thing we do, we're back in war. We're back overseas. We're back spending all this money outward. Restore. So when you combine during the Clinton crime bill that was signed on his watch. That was crazy. And then you put that in conjunction with the money that started going outward when mm-hmm. Bush came in. Because they had all those different connections outside the so Middle So the money wasn't circulating like it was. Prosperity wasn't happening like it was previously. Now the consequences for crime had drastically gone up. And we went into a thing that we never thought would happen in our era. The Great Depression. Because remember, the recession hit. Well, that was what, the second. Well, this the, is what I'm going into. So, okay. so you had the money that was going out of the country. So just like when we talk about group economics, how you need to keep the dollar in your community to keep it bouncing from hand to hand, to keep businesses open, to keep circulating, to keep your community thriving. That wasn't happening with the nation because all the dollars were going external again. You're going the Afghanistan situation, Iraq, all this stuff. You're going back, all this money starting to go out, soldiers being deployed. So with less resources here, crime began to elevate. Mm-hmm. As crime elevated because of the Clinton crime bill on his watch, the penalties for crime had quadrupled. Yeah. So stuff that used to get you, oh, that's a couple months. Now got you minimum mandatory, you know, five years, ten years on, on crime for, for most of it with nonviolent non-violent drug offenses. Crime. So now you start now you start to see a huge shift in less money circulating around and now more people getting incarcerated. And then what was put into place under the crime bill started to take hold. That crime bill was a two part of privatized prisons. So before, when you didn't have the gross numbers that were coming into prison, privatized prisons was a theory. Mm-hmm. There were some, but it wasn't the booming business because you did you weren't putting butts in the seats. Yeah. After the crime bill took effect, butts are the, in the and, seats. and then the the uh, the economy starts to take the dip. So crime begins to elevate. More people start to go to prison. Privatized prison then starts to raise up its value. All of a sudden, oh, that's a viable business. Yeah. So let's crack down on, on our arrests. In our convictions, more people go to prison. The privatized prison business begins to boom. More folks go to jail. So all that stuff starts to happen. Now you've got less people because even though people talk about black people and our spending and this and that, we were also a part of the grease that kept the machine moving during that time period. We were buying homes also. We were buying cars also. We were be eating in restaurants. Yeah, they don't want to believe that, though. So now 
when we the, when that starts to slow down, too, and we're not spending like we used to and everybody else isn't spending like we used to, then you start seeing then you go into the housing market. You start going into uh, then the recession starts to hit. Money's not going right. People start going to jail. More of us start going to jail. It just starts looking bad across the board. Yeah, it, so, no, I mean, it's kind of grimy. Yeah. And then, you you know, and, and there's still the, the repercussions and effects of that. Because, I mean, when you yeah, go well, I mean, fucking go to the gas station. Yeah. So, uh, I, and I was talking, well, more so us as a community, like, we're still really feeling the yeah, heavy repercussions well, I, 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 at that time. I, yeah, well, like, I'm, I'm strictly saying that these are things like you never in your lifetime thought you was going to see gas prices this high because we've never seen it before. Now, history has shown us, OK, the, the second Great Depression, as they call it, um, the recession. We've seen that before. Um, in historical perspective, we know what that looks like. But when these gas prices went up from a dollar to two, it's like, oh, OK, all right. This is kind of different. Right. And next thing you know, you got that gas price coming almost close to five dollars. It was like this motherfucker, George Bush, better get the fuck out of the presidency right now. Yeah. So, I mean, this this country, even in its economic shambles still put on the face of being, you know, the greatest show on earth. Yeah. And like I said, this country's all about it. it it's marketing. It's all about its persona. It's all about branding. Yes, sir. And so you've got a, a president who's in office now who's trying to go back to the, the quote unquote good old days of branding about cowboy politics, about, you know, who's got the biggest balls in the room as, as how it's going to go about, um, the racial comments about treating women a certain way, like going back to, to old school business as usual. But I think that something that we talk about, I need to say something about when we start talking about that marketing, we start talking about what that branding, what that representation does, that when you put that slant and that spin on things and you try to maneuver who you want to be the face of something, who you want to be the representative of something. Like I said, you know, the, the face of welfare in the United States of America is a black woman, though White people are the majority of people who are on welfare. The face of terrorism in America is is someone of the Islamic faith or someone of uh, Middle Eastern or Indian descent. Though the true face of domestic terrorism, of terrorism in the United States, is the Caucasian male. Mm. We have constant, if there's a mass shooter, more often than not, it's a white male. White, white, white man. The 10 most uh, heinous and, and, and disturbing shootings on U.S. soil, whether you're looking at the, the Aurora shooting, uh, Parkland, Killeen, uh, pick your poison. Pick, pick your major shooter. Pick, pick your major city. We're talking about Vegas, uh, too? Vegas. All that. So if you take how many the, was Vegas with 59? I don't remember the total number and I don't want to disrespect somebody who wasn't there. But if you take the 10 most. Uh, Crazy, the, the worst shootings on U.S. soil, the, the 10 most, seven of them are white males for the shooters. From wow. Las, Las Vegas to Newton, Sandy Hook, Sutherland Springs, uh, Colleen, San Ysidro, Parkland, uh, Aurora, seven of the 10 white male. And the coldest part about this whole thing is this is all within 15 years. Yeah, these, these are so current. Yeah. <laughs> and, but like I said, but this is marketing. This is branding. If you were to say, what does if I if I showed you a, a flip book like like the police lineup book of of a, 
a representative of every culture, one male and one female, and said, pick out the face of terrorism. You pick a Muslim person. Muhammad's getting picked out yeah. every all day, every day. If you don't know no better. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, is that because the way the marketing and branding works in this country, representation, that we have all these incidences that keep happening and this nation refuses to acknowledge its real problem. Nah, they don't want to acknowledge it's a real problem. They've yeah. never wanted to acknowledge a real problem. Yeah. At all. If you really want to acknowledge welfare reform, you're not starting with black women. Not at all. If you really want to acknowledge domestic terrorism, you're not starting with Middle Eastern immigrants. You can't. You know, if you really want to start addressing these situations and these problems, if you want to start talking about the drug problem in America, you ain't looking at black it's men. not these teenage young 20 black males. We're, we're not. We don't have the ships and the boats. We're not nah, trapping it in nah. the United States. We're not building the labs and, and, and science. Well, you're not, and if you're looking at together. gun trafficking, you're not looking at the black, black male. No. But because of marketing and branding, this Kansas City shuffle yeah. is going to have you looking one way while they're doing all the dirt on the other. Well, that's why um, the privilege, the white privilege, and I was talking to a friend of mine earlier today, a white guy, actually. Yes, people, I do have white friends. And I was explaining to him about his privilege, and he was just so oblivious about the privilege and was almost kind of like... You know, because he, he, he judges people off of the character, not the skin color. So he's okay. not seeing it like that. Right. But I'm explaining to him and and um had to break down the fact of, you know, when you look at the last few weeks, uh, you, you look at the, the shooting incidents of the Kentucky shooting. And then you look at the um, the community shooting that happened in the synagogue with the Jews, yeah. 11 dead, you know, two um, black um, elderly couple killed and how America reacted. America almost kind of was like, oh, two black people got killed by a racist white guy. We, yeah, we don't know if he's too racist. Oh, my God. What happened? Oh, I cannot believe if we're praying. You just saw a flip side of how America reacted, how everyone was just such in this uproar about what happened. And as tragic as it is, and, and this is not me being insensitive, it's just me putting that framework of why we as black people get so frustrated because our lives are not valued in the same way. You have the same kind of racist um, terrorists doing a heinous act. It's not about the number of how many this young man um, this older, excuse me, this older guy shot. It was the fact that what he did and you have America responding to white Jews one way and black people in another way. And I think that's repulsive. At the same time, this is kind of where we're at right now. We're always in this place where black people are, are pleading for folks to recognize the trauma that we go through. We've been talking about white supremacy. We've been talking about racist racism in this country forever. And we've been talking about how we've been getting killed mercilessly, not by just um, militia, malicious white groups, but actually the same police that are supposed to protect and serve us. Black people are the same taxpayers as white people, and you don't see unarmed white people getting killed yeah. in the way unarmed um, black people get killed. Yeah, and even when, when situations happen, when you start talking about all these these crazy uh, situations where the, the mass shooter is taken into custody safely. you know when you That shit is crazy. 
you look at where the the shooting in and uh, where in the synagogue where it's labeled as a hate crime and he's most likely going to get the chair or the needle or whatever they do in his state but in Kentucky it's not a hate crime because hate crimes are not associated with homicides in Kentucky <laughs> so you can get labeled with a hate crime for for spray painting something for burning a cross in somebody's yard but if you actually take their life it's not a hate crime I've I've heard a lot of shit, but that shit I'm hearing right now is the most ridiculous shit I've ever heard. Yeah, and when you look at you know, uh, well I shouldn't say the most ridiculous shit, but good, my know. most ridiculous shit I've heard today. <laughs> and, and, and the thing about the the, the white privilege part, and because I've had several conversations with, when this phrase comes up, because it's, like they don't understand a lot of folk, white folks really don't get their. Well, so so here here's the, the most the simplest way, and, and this is when. It, if you look at it like this for somebody, because what happens is, is that you'll find a white individual who'll sit there and say, look, uh, this black guy over here grew up with both parents, middle class. He's got a regular job. He's doing OK. I grew up in a single parent, you know, multiple kids in an apartment, you know, struggling. I don't see the privilege. If yeah. anything, this dude is more privileged than me because his life is better. Yeah. And the the argument, the only way that you can say that and not acknowledge where that kind of privilege comes in is if you treat everything on an individual case by case basis. Yeah. And what I mean by that is if you're going to take this particular guy and can compare him to this particular situation, you can come up all the time, say, if that's the case, then there's no uh, inequality issues with women. There's no homophobic issues because you can find a success story as individuals. Racism is a team sport. Yeah. And for you to say that you don't see it in your life, you don't recognize the privilege, that means you never use generalizations. You've never lumped people into groups. You've never said women are like this. Mm -hmm. Men are like that. Gay people are like this. Muslims are like that. You have to you have to work through your entire life as an individual mm -hmm. to not recognize white privilege. Mm -hmm. And I don't know anybody who does that. Well, here's so, another. Go ahead. Go ahead finish, finish. So when you look at stuff as a group. Yes, you as an individual, you may not be able to see it because of your life. Your life may suck. Like, you know, your daddy was shot at two. Your mom was a, a meth addict. You know, you may not be able to see the privilege and what you look at as your life. I'm not. It's not based around the individual mm -hmm. as the team collective. And, and if you're going to kind of quantify it to something that you can wrap your brain around, imagine living in the United States of America and it is predominantly Asian. That every every major infrastructure is Asian. If you're a white person in America. Every infrastructure is Asian. Political, educational, uh, law enforcement, predominantly Asian. Do you think that if you went for a job and the person you were competing for the job with was Asian and the person who was hiring was Asian, that that might have a slight factor in who gets hired between the two of you? If you get pulled over and the police officer is Asian or a dispute and a cop shows up. And the cop is Asian and the person you had a dispute with is Asian. Do you think that would play into any factor in how that plays out? Mm. Do you think that in anything that you do where the two Asian people have a degree of familiarity, they remind each other of something, similar culture, similar base, similar upbringing, their history is similar. And then here's you. You're the odd man out when you go to work, when you go to school, when you try to live, when you just try to exist. Do you think that that you not being Asian would play into any aspect of your life? If you're being honest, you're going to say yes. 
There will be scenarios at your school, scenarios at your job, scenarios with encounters with people where the dominant culture that you deal with is one thing that you aren't. There would be an Asian privilege in your lifetime. Mm -hmm. That's black people in America. The face of of all our disciplinarians in life are Caucasian. Oh, yeah. Most definitely. Everything. The teacher in school, the principal you deal with, the officer, the the lawyer, the judge, the the supervisor you have, the person you need to get a loan from, the person you try to get when you go to get a car. Like everything you do, more likely than not, the person will not look like you if you're black when you're trying to move and navigate in this world. And the the most scary part about it all as well is when, you know, talking to this friend of mine, um, when he said, you know, the biases and the stereotypes that, you know, what we uh, sometimes buy into, like it's got to be, um, you know, a white person is, is smarter than a black person or it's it's only white people that uh, own more businesses. It's like he was like, well, the funny thing, unfortunately, it's true. And that plays into a whole different degree of where we talk about how the programming starts, how the programming begins. The programming begins at an early age. The yeah. programming begins when you're watching television, right? You know, watching television. When I grew up in the 80s, and I've shared this before, in the 90s, all I saw was what? I saw white superheroes. I saw um, white superheroes in a sense of, yo, there's uh, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's playing, uh, you know, Ter- Terminator. He's playing... Uh, Conan, he's playing Commandos. There's Sylvester Stallone. He's playing Rambo. He's Rocky. You know, here's um, Harrison Ford. He's Han Solo. He's Indiana Jones. All I'm watching and all I'm seeing is white figures being heroes. Yeah. Where you flip that side and that coin, what do I see mostly depicted by black people? Drug dealers, criminals. I'm not seeing the, um, you know, when... uh, what is it saying elsewhere when you had Denzel Washington being that black uh, doctor for a little bit it's like whoa wait a minute that's a rarity because you don't get to see that and when you were in the neighborhoods because by this time growing up in the 80s they've done pretty much kind of figuratively position themselves to now really start derailing our communities with uh, the crack cocaine and the crack epidemic now again the Reagan Reaganomics you look at what happened to the communities, the lenses of that. We weren't being represented in the full screen of life. We wasn't being um, shined because, of course, black people don't have industries for us to shine in. And it's not as many industries so we can circulate and, um, you know, really short circuit what the negative is compared to the positive. So the little images that we have, when those images get... Um, delayed or or some transgression comes to where damn not him like when you saw uh mayor um um marin barry smoking that shit you're like ah not him you would always say that about a black person you hear about what daryl strawberry is doing what on it's it's because we didn't have the opportunity to be like okay well that was just one we have about a hundred other black people that are doing just as well it was almost like 
sink or swim when it came to us doing something. Every black person that has been held to some high esteem, that's why black folks were so upset about Bill Cosby because it was like the character um, Dr. Huxable, the guy we grew up with, Bill Cosby, and even going into Michael Jackson. They were able to show us like these images that we grabbed onto because there wasn't that many images like them and then in a latter part of their career, literally destroy them and show us y'all niggas still ain't shit. So even the heroes that we had, even the ones that we praised, even the ones that we wanted to grow up to be, they still found a way to create that negative connotation about those people, whether it's in the latter part of their lives or in between. So when you look at these heinous acts, right, you look at these these two things, these two racist acts of domestic terrorism in America, and you see the effect of one to two where Black people are now going back into the South Carolina situation where nine black people got killed in a church in South Carolina. And the majority of the story was about the terrorist, the hateful uh, Dylan Roof and how he got to go to uh, uh, Burger King and how he wanted to you know, start a race war. And then the black people coming out to forgive and say, we forgive him. Have you heard one Jew Outside of the community, inside of the community, or around where it happened in Pittsburgh, saying, we forgive this guy? Not one Jew has said that. Yeah. You've always listened to us in these moments, even in a sense where we should be saying, no way, the hell with this, this is BS. We're always in this forgiving manner. And that, to me, pisses me off. It shows us a sign of weakness as well as it constantly continues to show the elevation of how white people are more superior. And that thing is a big issue all in the same time. Yeah, the, the representation that we have is, is very important. And if you look at uh, something where, to, if you go back when you're talking about who we had as images to look at, you'll find from other groups where you'll hear, well... Uh, you know, well, you know, we, we, I didn't grow up. You can be uh, Hispanic and say that I didn't grow up watching a bunch of images of me. Or you can be Asian and say I didn't grow up seeing a bunch of images of what I look like. The difference is between those is, is that there wasn't a full marketing campaign to denounce those other groups. So there were, you know, there may be one Latino one on a show and they may have had one particular look. One Asian on the show with one particular look, but there wasn't a full fledged promotional marketing campaign to pick depict these groups of people as the face of crime, the face of, you know, all that's wrong and and with society and culture and that these are the people that need to be uh, you need to be protected from and the people that you need to avoid. So as you know, we grow up, not only do you not see the positive representation where people are, are, are not the good folks that you want to look like you're you're constantly being shown that you are the face of the type of people that everybody needs to avoid and when we get these these images where with the shooters down in and in, in down south where the dylan roof where the first thing we do is come out and say we forget where that's a theme that we have over and over and over again where we're the first thing with it that's what the bodies aren't even in the ground yet and we're up there telling us that you ain't even late services haven't even been put together yet. Yeah, we sit there and say that we forgive the person. And a lot of that is what we've been in, indoctrinated since we've been here is that you're supposed to 
Forgive the transgressions of your abuser. Of it's your that oppressor. Jesus syndrome. Can't get to heaven if you can't forgive. It's that Jesus syndrome. That, Hallelujah. Yeah. Only God can judge. So you're <laughs> supposed to overlook this person's sins, even though he slaughtered your grandma, because that's supposed to be between him and Jesus when he gets there. Whereas you find a lot of other cultures kind of subscribe to that old mentality. It's not my job to forgive you. That's Jesus' job. My job is just to arrange the meeting. And I think that for us, we have to get mindful of the fact of, of what this representation is, the marketing that, that is what America says about us and tries to promote about us and not fall into it. Yeah, we not only don't need to fall into it. We need to create our own images yeah. and we need to control those images and we need to be able to call out and, and, and step into the light about the images that they display. And the funny, funny thing about all of this stuff, and there's nothing funny about any of these things that are going on. It's just the, the awakening. I saw Don Lemon say, um, as we talked about the white terrorists, and he said, you know, the, the biggest threat to America was, you know, white men yeah. <laughs> and it was like uh oh an aha moment not only because i think he's whether married or dating a white man but he boldly said that i think that there's this new attitude with black people or should i say it's that old attitude that's coming back to the new because there was a particular time where first of all like the, <laughs> let, me, let me be very clear there was a particular time that you as a non-color person and I mean, a black person would not be able to utter the N word in any kind of manner, whereas a GA or NG, NG, ER, you wasn't going to be able to say none of that craziness. And now it gets to the point where you got white rappers being OK to say it in their raps and and, you know, Asians are saying it. And, you know, it, it, there was this this crazy um, post I saw this white guy, I had got into it with some black people and he was like taking the license plate number. He said, you know what? There's this great thing in America that you ends go to get can get arrested for absolutely nothing or like or bullshit or something yeah. like that. And the dude, black dude, cold cocked him. Right. And he was laid out. But the fact that the privilege of white people and them understanding the pulse of America, how it's kind of now um levered on their side a little bit more where they can now be able to, you know, when you look at the, the, the rash of white women, you know, who are calling the cops on black people for, for every, every damn thing in the book, right. Yeah. That they've so, they're so comfortable with knowing the laws on their side, as well as paying attention to how many unarmed black people that have gotten killed for nothing. Like the funny thing about it is white people are not stupid. White people know that a majority of these people, unless they're just dumbfounded or brain dead, know that the majority of these black people that have gotten killed have done nothing wrong, but they'll still, and this is the reason why their codes are so epic, they will still back police offers, not all white folks, but a majority of the white folks that just want to be in their privilege and just want to be in the stereotypes. Well, like, he had to be doing something. Cops are not going to just shoot. But when you have the attitudes of some of these people running around here saying obscene things, another thing, when you saw the, the woman in New York, I want to say it's in Brooklyn, where she lied upon the little young black kid and said he sexually assaulted her. You go onto the video, the young boy didn't do anything. Yeah. Right. And thank goodness the young boy is like, I can't forgive her. Thank so they God. got to him though. When did they finally got to him? They got to him. 
because he was apologizing about a week after that video. Uh, I didn't see that part. Yeah. I have to, I have yeah, to yeah he was sitting that. there next to his mom, and, and and you could tell that he was fighting it. But he sat there and apologized. He said that he accepted her apology. Uh, yeah, he forgave well, her. Uh, yeah, I, that, yeah, that's something else we're gonna have to go to. But the reality that we keep on, keep on. Um, seeing these things play out, play out over and over again, and black people have not figured it out, hasn't snapped in their they head to say, you know what, we are not against each other, we are against everyone that is against us, and we have to build, and the importance of building our own infrastructures, because we have something that they want. <laughs> you know, we are good business. When you look at what's going on in, um, you know, the political realm right now, when you talk about how uh, there's this this move to have black people um, do this mass exodus from the Democrats and black people are saying we need to become more conservative and, uh, uh, you know, get away from the liberals and, you know, we need to be more Republican. Fuck a Democrat, fuck a Republican. That's just straight up. Do you need to vote? For sure. But at the end of the day, black people need to start their own black party. The most powerful thing to me would be if these folks are saying let's mass exodus both parties and create our own party. That's the type of stuff. But when you look at it and folks are arguing back and forth saying, well, how can Donald Trump be racist or, or, or um, Republicans be racist if they're talking to black people If black people are going to them? I say it just like this is very simple and plain. Those owners of sports teams, you think all them people like black people? No, them motherfuckers know black people are good business. And really, in the bottom line, the unfortunate part about it all is black people are good business. So you're going to deal with someone, whether you like their skin tone, whether you like who they are and their background, you are going to deal with someone if they can make you a profit. If they can make you some money, you're going to figure out a way to kind of say, eh, I'm not going to uh, um, pay attention to that kind of mark or on his his character. I'm just going to go ahead because we're making dollars. And that's what they usually do. It's a business move and it's a business transaction. And that's what America's all about. Yeah. All these things that go on in this country, like I said, America's got the greatest PR marketing team on the planet. And that it will spend things however it needs for whatever agenda that it's facing at any given time. The important part is that we actually do take the time, the energy and the efforts to actually get to know people on a one to one. Actually take the time to, to really get to know people as opposed to just being hung up on what the machine says people are. Use your real judgment, your own life experiences, not everything that you see on a screen or on TV or whatever. This, this country will promote that. It, that California is nothing but sun, beaches and movie stars, though most of the state is farmland and agriculture. It will tell you that New York is just bright lights and big cities. They don't tell you about the rats the size of Cocker Spaniels. They'll tell you that Miami is nothing but South Beach and parties, but they don't tell you about all the hurricanes and all the problems through Tampa and Tallahassee. It's great marketing. It's great PR. And when we recognize that that's what it is, that you're being fed the commercial you got to do your own work and actually really look at the product. And for some of us who are victims of the bad commercial, that it doesn't mean that that's what we have to fall into. But it means that we have to try that much harder to not only not fall into that stereotype, but be more mindful about creating our own commercials, telling our own stories and creating our own narratives. These are things that we need to not only be active about and be diligent about, but definitely something we need to say something about. I'm Mary Morrissey with Barry Axius. Yes, sir. Where can folks find you online for more riveting conversation like Barry this? Barry Axis on Facebook. Don't get your feelings hurt on that. And Instagram at Team Boy and Twitter at Barry Axis. 
I'm Jermaine Morris on Facebook. Every other social media platform is at J Morris CEO. This has been the Say Something Podcast. Peace. <laughs> and until next show, we will holler at you later. Yes, sir.